Years ago, I was new in ministry, and my pastoral career almost came to an abrupt, unfortunate end. I was uh, at a summer camp with students, about 200 of them or so, and I was given the responsibility of setting up the games. Well, it was the height of summer in South Florida, so very sweltering, as you might imagine, and I thought it might be funny if we did a game that was uh, called Snowman in Summer. Um, so I got the 200 or so students into groups of eight. I gave them all cans of shaving cream and uh, told them it was, they had one minute to make a snowman. Now, I learned from a previous game that had gone awry that shaving cream in the eyes actually stings a lot. Menthol, not good in the eyes. So I found a solution. While I was in the store buying the shaving cream, I saw marshmallow fluff that was on sale. What could go wrong? Well, that marshmallow fluff had been sitting out in the, whole, in the hot Florida sun for several hours by the time the uh, game started, and it turns out it turns into a substance that could rightly be called glue. Um, so after the game was completed and I announced the winner, I heard the first cry go out. Ah, I can't open my eyes. I'm blind. I can't see. Followed by eight more right behind it. And I thought to myself, oh no, we got to get them to a hose and I've got to get a new job. <laughs> uh, they found their way by a line. Someone led the front of it off to a hose and thankfully they all regained their sight in short order. Uh, your sight is one of those things that you take for granted until it goes. Uh, as you start aging and you need corrective lenses, you take for granted how nice it was to be able to see things clearly, don't you? Uh, certainly, it's more difficult to navigate life with some sort of visual impairment. And it's particularly difficult to keep yourself safe if you're outright blind. That's true physically for your physical sight in the physical world. But Jesus is going to teach us this morning that it's true spiritually as well. That we need clear spiritual eyes to avoid spiritual danger. Uh, we're in a section of Luke's gospel that's sometimes called the Sermon on the Plain. Uh, Jesus has been teaching a group of gathered disciples about the kingdom of God and what it's like to be citizens in that kingdom. He's been teaching them of how heaven thinks of them, even when the world rejects them, about how, how they need to have the very heart of heaven, God's heart of mercy toward his enemies. And now Jesus is going to zero in on the topic of seeing clearly that they need to keep their eyes clear and keep them on Jesus. That's what we'll learn this morning, to keep our eyes clear by keeping them on Jesus. Uh, we'll learn that through two sections. Uh, first, in verses 39 through 40, there's two warnings Jesus gives. The first one is about our teachers. Watch who you walk with. Watch who you walk with. Verses 39 through 40. Then the second warning, not on the outside with teachers, but on the inside, our sin. Pull it out before you point it out. Pull it out before you point it out. And all of us will learn how to keep our eyes clear by keeping them on Jesus. Let's begin in that first section, 39 through 40. Watch who you walk with. Verse 39 tips us off that Jesus is speaking in parables. He also told them a parable. Uh, this passage has a total of three parables. The first two are close enough in meaning that I've grouped them together. 
Uh, and they actually are one thought that's connected to each other, which we'll tease out as we go along. Now, when you hear the word parable, you're probably thinking of some of the longer stories that Jesus tells. We'll get to those later in Luke's gospel, don't worry. Um, and parables, it's true, are stories with an intent behind them. There's usually one main point that you're supposed to draw from the parable. And certainly it's supposed to leave you thinking long after you've heard it. But there's another form of parable that we're using this morning, which are shorter. They're like proverbs. They're almost like word pictures, but they have the same sort of idea. There's a meaning behind them, and you're supposed to turn them over a few times before you understand them. Well, the first of those parables is of a blind man. Um, now, it's a difficult thing to be blind. Uh, that's true right here as we live even with many wonderful uh, accommodations of accessibility for the blind. Uh, we should be thankful for seeing eye dogs and for uh, crosswalks that announce when it's safe for people to go across. It allows many people with visual impairments to live a fuller life. We'll be thankful for that. It's still difficult to not have your sight and to live a safe life if, to be blind today. But imagine yourself 2,000 years ago and to not be able to have the use of your eyes. Uh, the roads are not paved all that well. There's dangers all about, and you will not ever see them coming. Which meant if you were a blind person, you were at the mercy of your friends and family who would literally have to walk you from point A to point B, step by step, by the hand, or else you would find yourself in a deep, dark place. Well, everyone would have understood that, but Jesus' scenario has something very odd to it. It's a blind man that's out walking, being led by another blind man. Predictably, it results in disaster. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? Uh, that word for pit is, could be translated as a gaping chasm, a hole so deep you'll fall down in it and no one will ever hear from you again. What's Jesus teaching with this? Is he trying to help the ancient world to be a little more accessible to people with visual impairments? Well, no, there's a meaning behind it. It is to be careful who you let lead you. If you're going to follow someone, you had better be sure that they are equipped to lead you where you want to go. People we look up to, uh, people who we put ourselves under their authority, they have an incredible ability to lead us either into a place of blessing or into a place of heartache. Jesus is here warning, be careful who you walk with. Be careful who you look up to and who you follow after. The, the second parable fills out the idea of what he's talking about. So we'll read that before we apply uh, this any further. Verse 40, second parable, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he's fully trained, will be like his teacher. Uh, this time, the image is of a teacher and his students. Uh, I have a confession to make. Uh, growing up, I liked the movie The Karate Kid just a little bit. Um, I might have liked it so much that I talked my parents into letting me take a martial art for a few years. Uh, maybe you've seen it. Uh, there's a teenager who's being bullied named Daniel. And uh, he's taken under the wing by the wise teacher, Mr. Miyagi. And he teaches Daniel, wax on, wax off, and all these karate moves. Very deep and profound. Um, 
One of the themes in the movie, though, might as well just be Jesus' principle here illustrated. And that is, there are two very different teachers teaching two very different types of karate. There is Mr. Miyagi, who teaches his students to only fight when once someone attacks them, and uh, virtue. And then there is the evil dojo, Cobra Kai. Their students literally chant, kill, every time they punch. Kill, kill, kill. Now, what you'll find is that the character of the teachers is reflected in their students. Over time, Daniel becomes more like Mr. Miyagi, whereas the Cobra Kai students become like their evil teacher. Now, the, the world gets that principle, that you will become like the person who teaches you. Now, back in the ancient world, that was even more so. You couldn't just sign up for online classes or do self-study on the internet. If you wanted to learn something, you had to find a teacher and you had to go learn it from their very mouth. The way people uh, did that was they identified a rabbi or a teacher, and then they would go and they would walk and talk and live, essentially, with that teacher. And little by little, they would gain their knowledge and take on conformity to what that teacher was like. Jesus is here teaching us that the people who teach you are molding you to one day look like them. Have you thought about that? That the people you look up to and you learn from are the people that you will one day look like? Uh, it's been said that over time, churches start to take on characteristics of their pastors. As I've thought about that, I think that's true. I don't think that means that one day you will all be six foot two and have curly hair. But with fear and trembling, I do think it's true that over time uh, that you will see some of my strong points reflected in the congregation as well as my weaknesses. Because it's inevitable, eventually a student will turn out to be like their teacher. I wonder how discerning we are about who is in fact leading us and teaching us. Uh, in my experience, far too many Christians are unaware of the fact that they are being molded into something or someone by everything that they consume. Whether it be a class they're taking in university or the media that they consume, they are being molded into someone's image. The question is, whose? Uh, think about it. Every radio show you listen to, every hour of the news that you watch, every book that you read, every podcast that you subscribe to, all of it is adding up to changes that will one day be reflected in your character. Are those changes the ones Jesus wants to have happen in your life? It's an ugly thing when you're not discerning about who you look up to and who you learn from. Uh, while I was in seminary, there was a group of students who became enamored by one particular preacher, very uh, well-known uh, guy, very famous. Uh, he had built a brand of being extremely brash and harsh, Anyone who he disagreed with at all, he would just blast them full throttle on the internet and get millions of views as a result. Well, over time, that group of students started to look like the person they looked up to. Uh, they became brash and harsh, so much so that one Sunday they showed up at a church in the area, a church that preached the gospel, believed the Bible like we do, but in their mind, a church that wasn't doing things the way it should be done, so they disrupted the service 
started yelling at people and caused a big commotion. It got so bad that the seminary had to issue a public formal apology to that church. Why? Because who you look up to and who you learn from will one day be who you look like. Have you considered who it is that you're being made into the image of? Jesus is warning us here, be careful who you walk with. I think you could flip this around also. Um, realize that if you have a position of authority of some sort, people looking up to you in some way, that you have a great responsibility to steward before the Lord. I'm so thankful for the teachers we have teaching our children down in children's ministry. Thank you for serving. Uh, realize that you are shaping the character and even the understanding that our kids have about God. Uh, I hope that you are praying for the Lord's help in that endeavor. I'm certainly praying for you. Would you use that responsibility well? Uh, maybe you're a parent and you've got kids in the home. Ask yourself, what aspects of your character do you hope your kids will reflect? And what things about you do you hope not show up in your kids when they grow up? All of us have this responsibility to some degree or another. Maybe it's not in the family with young kids. Maybe it's at work. Do you have any people that are under your supervision? Are you modeling for them respect for people and treating people fairly? Or are you teaching them it's a dog-eat-dog -dog world and you get what you can get? Or, or maybe none of those scenarios apply to you. And you're here this morning, you're thinking, ah, oh, I don't have anyone that's really looking up or learning to me, uh, looking up to me or learning from me. Um, but the mere fact that you are a member of the body of Christ means that you are modeling Christian behavior for other people. I don't know if you realize this, but when Christians that are less mature in their faith don't know what to do as a Christian, they look to their left and their right, and they look at the examples of other Christians. And they say, that's how I'm going to do this part of being a Christian. Ask yourself, when you come on Sundays, and the way you worship, and the way you engage, and the way you take notes in the sermon, is that what you want reflected in the younger Christians that are coming up in the faith? Jesus warns us, who you look up to and who you learn from will one day be what you look like. Now, that's a lot of responsibility I've just heaped on your shoulders. It could be that you're beginning to despair. I, I began to feel that uh, sense as I, before the Lord, realized the responsibility of leadership and teaching. But that's why it's so important for us to look not just to people on this earth, as imperfect as they might be, but to look to the perfect leader and teacher we have in Jesus. Uh, Jesus is the standard for what a Christian must one day be. And in fact, he has promised to conform you to his image day by day, lesson by lesson. Uh, the advantage of following Jesus is he has never been blinded by sin. He'll never lead you down the wrong path. And Jesus will always teach you the very truth of God because he brings the very word of God to us as he is the very word of God from heaven itself. And that means if as imperfect as the people that you might have been following up to now might be, if you follow Jesus, you'll never be led astray. Realize as a congregation, you have a responsibility uh, not just to follow what I say as the preacher, but to follow what Jesus says in his word. 
Uh, you know that you actually have the authority for what gets preached from this pulpit as a member of this congregation. Uh, I can't just make up whatever I want about God and force you to believe it. No, it is the words that Jesus has given us that are our light through this world. The standard of what our character is supposed to be like. Uh, with fear and trembling, I, I hope there's never a day where I preach anything but what the word of God uh, says. But friend, resolve in your heart to follow Jesus, not men. No matter how learned or wise they may seem, no matter how much you love them, if you're not following Jesus, sooner or later you'll be led astray and you'll find yourself in a deep, dark place indeed. Jesus warns us, watch who you walk with. It's the first warning about our teachers. There's a second warning though. Uh, not about the outside, but what's on the inside. A warning about our sin. He tells us to pull it out before we point it out. To pull out our sin before we point it out in others. A third parable Jesus tells is his most famous here. I'll read it again to remind you what it says. Verse 41. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that's in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take out the speck that's in your brother's eye. Uh, Jesus uh, illustrates here something that uh, I once had a, heard a theologian say, that God has no sense of humor. In the Bible, there's no jokes told by God. Um, since Jesus is God the Son, I respectfully disagree with the learned theologian um, because this parable is downright hilarious even as it is convicting. Uh, the scenario is as such. There's two guys walking along. This one guy turns to his brother and he notices, eagle eye as he is, there's a little tiny speck of maybe dirt or gravel or something in the guy's eye. I mean, Bravo for noticing. That's quite, quite a vision you got there. Uh, now, that is not the, the funny part. Um, he then is moved to do something about it. So he says to the, his brother, uh, let me do a little bit of sensitive surgery on your eye. I'll, I'll just take this knife here and fish around and get that speck out of your eye. That's not bad enough. He has this minor matter of this tiny timber sticking out from his own eye presumably blocking his own vision and keeping him from being able to do anything useful for anybody. Now, the word Jesus uses for log, don't think of the wood that goes in your fireplace. Think of a giant beam that's a central piece of wood in a house. I mean, it is so over the top that it's impossible and ridiculous, right? Imagine as this guy is swinging this beam around from his face, knocking everyone over as he goes, and he's the one that wants to do this delicate surgery on his friend's eye. Now, again, there, these are, uh, this is a parable. There's a reason Jesus is telling this story besides getting a laugh. It's designed to make us chuckle and then make our hearts ache as we realize its implications for our own sin. Uh, what is Jesus teaching here? He's teaching that we're much faster to notice even small sins in others than we are to notice obvious sins in ourselves. That there's a tendency in the human heart 
uh, because it's shot through with sin and sin itself blinds us, uh, we tend to be utterly oblivious to our own sins, even while we can be eagle-eyed picking them out in the lives of our brothers and sisters. Uh, Jesus says that this is hypocrisy. He calls a person a hypocrite. That's the, the word for a stage actor. They would wear a mask on top of their real face. He's saying you're being two-faced here. Because you yourself have this major sin that's so obvious, jutting out from your life. And yet you think you're in a position to help someone with minor sins by comparison. Now you might think that Jesus is here saying that Christians should not ever attempt to correct anyone else. I mean, after all, we've got to pull the log out of our own eye, right? But did you notice Jesus doesn't here just condemn them as hypocrites. He tells them, pull out the beam and then you will be able to see clearly. And you'll be able to help your brother out with that speck in his eye. So as Jesus teaches even the hypocrisy that we so easily fall into, he also teaches the hope that our spiritual vision can be cleared and we can even be of help to our brothers and sisters. You see, what Jesus is teaching here is that we need to be in the regular habit, even to expect that we will have sins in our own lives that need to be attended to before the sins we notice in other people are our business. Have you noticed this, that oftentimes uh, you can be in a sinful pattern for a long period of time, and through circumstance or, or maybe someone coming directly confronting you, only then do you realize, oh wait, this one area has been totally out of line with how a Christian's supposed to live. Uh, we should be shocked when that happens. That, that is the exceeding deceitfulness of sin at work in our lives. And in fact, as Christians, we should have a basic assumption that even if we don't feel it, there's probably a timber or two in our eyes that needs to be attended to. Are you in the habit of regularly before the Lord uh, trying to find the areas of your life that are in fact out of line with what Jesus calls us to live as Christians and sinful? Uh, if you're not regularly doing this, uh, you can rest assured, over time, you will develop a log or two in your eye. And it will, over time, impair your vision to the point where even what you think you see in the others might be something altogether different. I was once in a room with a group of elders when a man um, was brought in for a meeting. Uh, he had been habitually um, overly domineering and harsh with his wife and his son. It had gone on for years, and it had gotten so bad that his marriage was about to split in two. So he was brought before the elders in an effort to bring him to repentance. Uh, we, I remember a, a letter that was very carefully written, being read to him, explaining the areas where we had seen sin at work in his life, and calling him to repent. I remember praying and hoping that at the end of this letter that he would admit his fault, and find forgiveness, and turn around from the way he was going. But that's not what happens when you've got a log in your eye. Uh, instead, he played the deflecting game. Uh, he immediately changed the conversation to be about his wife and all the minor things she was doing wrong. How she didn't have food on the table when he got home. How she wasn't affectionate enough to him. How she wasn't living up to her end of the bargain. 
And no matter how many times he was corrected, he just found his way back to that set of minor matters. Couldn't see the timbers jutting out of his eye, but he could see the specks in his wife's eye just perfectly. Uh, friends, you may think to yourself, I could never do something like that. But, but ask yourself, do you ever find yourself when someone points out an area of sin in your life, deflecting? Do you find the words instead of saying, you know, you might be right, I need to pray about that. Or you're right, I need to repent of that. Do you find yourself saying, yeah, but what about X, Y, or Z that you did or someone else did? You find yourself excusing and finding other examples of people more sinful than you instead of dealing with the piece of wood lodged in your spiritual sight. Jesus tells us we've got to clear our eyes. And the only way that happens is if we intentionally put those eyes on Jesus. I want to give you three lines of application here for you to take. The first is how do you spot a timber in your eye? like what Jesus is saying. How do you spot a, an area of blindness of sin that needs to be attended to? Well, I think you have a responsibility as an individual Christian to regularly take inventory and to have the disposition of quickly repenting. Uh, if you're not in the habit of regularly in your prayer times, confessing before God the sins that you know about, you should start there. But you should also be praying that God would reveal other sins to you, ones that you might not yet be aware of. I think another way that you can do this is by inviting your brothers and sisters around you in the fellowship of your church to help you spot the logs in your eye that you might not see yourself. And if you're a small group, hopefully you've built up enough uh, relational capital that you trust each other. You know they love you and they're here for your good. You can invite them, say, hey, would you do me this favor? Would you point out any areas where it looks like I'm just missing my sin? Now, if you do that, now, please make sure that you are not offended when they actually do what you ask them to do. If they come and they say, hey, there's this thing that you need to attend to, please don't deflect or go after them. See it as an act of love. But this is one area where the body of Christ, as we uh, help each other forward, if we're both keeping our eyes on Jesus, oftentimes we can help each other, seeing the logs that otherwise would be uh, unnoticeable to us. Uh, the second thing is once you notice it, resolve to repent of it. That's the pulling out part. You know it's there, and what do you do with it? Well, you bring that, that sin to the feet of Jesus. Uh, you admit your fault before him. You ask his forgiveness. And before, uh, before his throne of grace, you resolve to do everything you can to turn away from that sin and make right any damage you've caused. Now, I know there's a part of your heart that's going to lie to you in that moment to tell you, yes, Jesus has forgiven you from your sins, but, but not this one. Uh, this is going to be the one, the, the straw that breaks the camel's back. When he finds out about this one, well, he's going to want nothing to do with you. Uh, but friend, remember when Jesus died on the cross for your sins, he died for that sin as well. He knew about all the sins that you would commit. So come to him knowing he delights to restore your spiritual sight. That his blood has already atoned for your guilt before God. And that he will quickly restore you into right fellowship. And when you do that, something amazing will happen. In time, you will see your spiritual sight restored. Uh, as you repent regularly of your known sins. 
you'll find your instincts, your, your conscience, calibrated closer and closer to the, what we see in Scripture. You'll find yourself, yes, able to notice specks in other people's eyes and able to gently and with grace come alongside and help. Uh, but to fail to do these three steps would be instead to crush and bruise and destroy bumbling about without the spiritual sight we need for such delicate matters. So brothers and sisters, let's be faithful to this in our fellowship. I, I hope you want to be in a sort of church where people love you enough to help you notice the, the areas where you are in fact uh, walking in sin. And I hope that you want to be humble enough to help uh, accept correction when in fact that is brought. And as we do so, we'll find ourselves walking side by side with clear sight, uh, following someone who's worth following, our teacher and our example, Jesus. Now, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I wonder if you've reckoned with what the Bible teaches about the deception of sin in your own heart. It may be that you haven't thought much about the things you've done wrong in your life or what God thinks about them. But that doesn't mean that God has not noticed them or that he is indifferent to them. In fact, the Bible teaches us that God is uh, all-knowing. He keeps a perfect record of everything we do in this life. And one day, he will repay us according to what we have done. Unfortunately, that day of accounting will not be a pleasant one for anyone who arrives on Judgment Day apart from the covered blood of Jesus. Uh, if you think that on Judgment Day, your good deeds will outweigh your bad, the Bible teaches exactly the opposite. That all of our sins, on their own, each of them would be enough to condemn us forever and to make us into right uh, objects of God's punishment. And while there's nothing you can do to work off your sin before God, there is a way that you could be forgiven as a gift of grace. You see, that's the whole message of the gospel. That God sent his son Jesus, not just as someone to look up to and someone to learn from, but someone to die for sinners like you and I. Uh, Jesus did that by dying on the cross. And his life was a sufficient payment for the penalty that your sins deserved. And then three days later, he rose from the dead to prove for, for a fact that he could forgive you and even give you eternal life with God. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, the most important thing that you can do is come to God through Jesus Christ. To bring to him the sins that have so weighed you down up until now and to trust that he can take your debt and replace it with God's grace. If you don't know how to do that after the service, come find anyone with a name tag. We would love to introduce you to our forgiving and merciful and loving Lord Jesus. Now, to all of us here that are Christians, together as a church, let's realize that while we need to regularly make sure that we clear our eyes by keeping them on Christ, that Jesus knew we would need help doing this, which is why he gave us a regular rhythm to do it with the Lord's table. Uh, when we come to the Lord's table, we are invited to remember what Jesus did dying on the cross, his body broken for us and his blood shed. We're invited to take inventory of our own hearts to see if there might be any timbers that need clearing out from our spiritual eyes, to repent 
and find the assurance of forgiveness again. So as we transition to singing and then to the table thereafter, brothers and sisters, would you hear this teaching from your Lord Jesus? Keep your vision clear by keeping your eyes on him. Let's pray. Oh Jesus, thank you for for coming to bring us uh, people who were so far lost, down in a pit of our own making and sin, who had no hope of being right before God or of living eternally with you. Thank you for coming and showing us the way as the light of the world. Thank you for providing all the grace that we needed so we could be forgiven and that we could find you to be the teacher and model that we needed all along. Uh, Jesus, would you now help us to remember those steps that you took on your way to the cross? Would we long to be more like you, Jesus? Would you change us by your grace? We pray in your name. Amen.